Hello out there. This is the Freaky Friday podcast. You are talking with Lindsay Lohan and my co-host, Jamie Lee Curtis. How y'all doing? Dang it. Now I wish I remember the actors from the original version. So I could say, this isn't Lindsay Lohan. It's actually, you know, like Shirley Temple or whoever. And I know it wasn't Shirley Temple in the original, but that's me admitting that I have no clue who was in the original Freaky Friday. Um, to tell you the truth, I don't either. But uh, what I've heard is that the the newer one, 2004 or whenever it was, is the better one. And I do love that movie. Uh, and, you know, when I was a little kid seeing Parent Trap in theaters, man, did I think Lindsay Lohan was just the coolest little kid on the planet. And probably about my age. So I was like, there, there, there might have been a crush there. you know. But I didn't know which one to have a crush on because I actually thought it was twins and not just one actor playing both parts movie magic hey welcome to the jesus freak hideout podcast <laughs> yahoo all right so what's on the docket today chase today we will be featuring our very first artist interview uh, that will be becoming a bit more normal as time goes on and we get opportunities of um, different artists to speak to and conversations that we uh think uh, the listeners would enjoy hearing uh, so today that's coming from ashes remain and it's a really good interview. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. And I think it'll appeal to people who don't even listen to the band or maybe not uh, be familiar with the music of Ashes Remain. Uh, we get into topics like the dynamics of being a father and a touring musician. Uh, so that'll be coming up soon. Uh, but first, for our segment, Is It Five Stars? We will be discussing an album that I greatly love. And that is mm. Wrongdoers by Norma Jean. Yes, indeed. Wrongdoers. So, a uh, little bit of background. Wrongdoers was released in 2013. It is the, I think, fifth studio album from Norma Jean. Yeah, if you're just keeping to like, the official albums and not including back when they were Ludicrous or anything like that, it's the fifth. You've Blessed the Child, then Oh God, The Aftermath, then The Redeemer, then Auntie Mother. Oh, no! Meridian yeah, Anti Mother. So Meridian is the fifth. Uh, Wrongdoers is the sixth. Sixth. Yeah. Okay. So the sixth career. But fifth, uh, fifth album. with Corey as the frontman. So, so you've got something right, there. So, You're not completely wrong. Okay. Uh, well, whether it's the fifth or sixth, it is for sure one of their most. Well, I can't really necessarily say. Um, Access like n- non chaosy kind of more accessible <laughs> metalcore because uh, their last album I think was uh, even more in that vein. I think it was their first album on Razor and Tie. What was their last one called again? Um, uh, the previous album was 2010's Meridianal, and that was um, that's uh, right. their first album for Razor and Tie. And I would say that's probably the most accessible quote unquote album they've ever done. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe one of their more divisive albums, too. Um, I remember uh, just, like, not a very big crowd uh, there when I went to go see Norma Jean for the Meridional Tour. And while critics liked it, uh, fans weren't so about it. Um, Wrongdoers, however, I think brought a lot of people back into the fold. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I really do. Like, from people I've spoken to, Wrongdoers is a common fan favorite. Um, and I possibly the first album that a lot of people 
uh, held in the same regard, uh, that people have the same esteem for as the infamous... Uh, bless the martyr, kill the child. Bless the martyr, kiss the child, yeah. I think I said bless the, the child the child. Earlier. Kiss the child. It's, it's, the, it's just the, the scrunched up version of the album title. Mm-hmm. Mother Child. Yeah. I actually right, don't anyway. like that album. I didn't I didn't get into Norma Jean until The Redeemer. I do like that album, but I mainly like it because of uh, Memphis Will Be Laid to Waste. Yeah, I don't like which that Which is an awesome, awesome song. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Wrongdoers. So, um, tell me a little bit, Chase. What do you think about this album overall? I I have a crazy love for it. Um, it's one of those things that like my best friend back in Texas will just randomly quote this album to each other. Um, it has a, a very uncommon amount of memorable choruses and memorable lyrics from this heavy of a metal album. I think it really... Uh, capitalized on all of the strengths that we saw in Meridional and just took it up a notch uh, to a serious level of creative heaviness. Um, and you know, here we are almost five years later and I still love the album as much as when I first heard it. So where do you stand on it? I actually had never, I don't think I'd ever listened to Norma Jean before this album. I actually think this was wow. my first one. I mean, I listened to Wrongdoers, and man, was I super pleasantly surprised. It's just, I mean, again, like you said, it was catchy and memorable. I mean, Hive Minds, I think, started off with a really great, like, it was inst- it, w- it was instantly the best song from Norma Jean that I'd ever heard. Yeah. And then... Uh, That's a great opening track. It is, a, it is a great opening track, and, you know, it's six minutes long, but it... It's worth the six minutes. It really is. But then um, two songs later, Wrongdoers. I think Wrongdoers became my favorite track. And then I really liked The Powder Has No Hands, which is a fantastic song title, by the way. (laughs) And then I think uh, Sword in Mouth, Fire Eyes is my favorite, like to this day, is my favorite Norma Jean song. I might actually agree with that. And yeah, that that three-song run that you just pointed out is what makes this album as incredible as it is. Oh, totally. Um, As much as I love the second half and as much as I love Hive Minds, it really is a a great opener. Those three songs are just so iconic. They cover such the the, the spectrum, too, because, you know, Wrongdoers is, you know, just a metalcore track, you know? And then uh, the Potter has no hands. That's that you know distorted, chaotic sound that uh, Norma Jean has been known for. And then Sword and Mouth, Fire Eyes. There you've got that. I don't. I don't want to say a ballad. It's not a ballad, but it's that melodic, singable. It's it's almost like a radio rock song. Yeah, it, it, it it's is. that close. Have you seen the music video for it? I think I saw it once a long time ago. Oh man, you have to revisit it. It's this hilarious video about um, a shark that wants to eat this surfer. Oh, yep, yep. I so remember. So it follows that. it onto rem- land. And it follows him around, and it just ruins his life. His work. Like, I know. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and that 
there's there's a decent chance that that might also be um, my favorite Norma Jean song. Um, there are a few tracks off of Meridianal um, that might give it a run for its money. Uh, Deathbed Atheist, High Noise, Low Output, Falling from the Sky, and uh, The People That Surround You on a Regular Basis. But I think uh, that last song, People That Surround You on a Regular Basis, and Sword of Mouth, Fire Eyes, might be the two best choruses uh, that Corey has ever done, especially just on a level of uh, memorability, sing-along ability. <laughs> um, it's, it, he's just, he has something really, really special on those songs that uh, I remember reading interviews during the, that period of like 2009 leading up to 2013 talking about these two albums that they were making. And the general theme that Corey repeated is how they were attempting to get both more melodic and heavier and that is accomplished so well on wrongdoers you can't see me but i'm nodding yeah i'm about to say nodding nodding doesn't work well for a recording but we have visual affirmation from (laughs) uh mark over here so is there anything uh about the album that you don't like or that would be a detractor from you giving it a five-star rating um yeah i mean well, first of all, I don't think I would give it five stars in the first place. I think it's probably a four and a half for me. Either four and a half okay. or a really strong four. Um, probably four and a half. But <laughs> uh, the biggest thing that bugs me is actually the last song, Sun Dies, Blood Moon, uh, which, to tell you the truth, is actually a good song. I like it. But, I mean... My goodness, it's 14 minutes long, and the last six minutes is basically like one big, long um, fade-out. Um, right. It's like this like booming bass noise just over and over again. I know. And, I mean, they, th- they throw in a few cool riffs in there and, you know, all that stuff. It's not even like a hidden track. I, hidden tracks are also something that's really annoying to me in albums. <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It just just keeps going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny, you know? And it doesn't need to. You know, I can, I can get maybe a minute or minute and a half, maybe even two minutes tops of just like this kind of instrumental fade out the way that they do. But like six minutes or seven minutes or eight minutes is just totally overkill. So that bugs me. Um, that's the biggest thing. Uh, the other thing is just, you know, a, a few songs that are a little bit less memorable. The second half of the album, I think, had a few songs that are a little bit less memorable. Um, I can't remember what those songs are, though. So <laughs> That kind of proves the point, though. Yeah, I know. I can't, I can't remember which songs aren't memorable. <laughs> I know. Yeah, something uh, Wayne says in his five-star review of the album is that this seven-minute opener, Hive Minds, doesn't waste a single second. Um, and that really just can't be said of the closer. No. I uh, like I, I don't mind the song, um, but it was kind of a chore to get, to get through when I revisited the album yesterday. And there have been plenty of times in the past where I've just pretended that this is a 10-song album, and instead of listening for... 49 minutes i just have this really concise 35 minute version of the album 
that I think works fine. I think Funeral Singer makes a fine uh, closing track. Really? So you don't even listen to the uh, actual music for Sun Dies, Blood Moon? I, don't know, I guess like there, there's something in me that doesn't want to just listen to a partial song. Um, like I don't want to be unfair to that track <laughs> or something absurd like that. Um, That's not absurd. I feel the same way. But uh, so yesterday when I revisited this album, I listened to Meridianal, then Wrongdoers, then Polar Similar. Um, Ooh, and I know how you feel about Polar Similar. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of the staff knows that uh, that was my biggest disappointment of 2016 the very first time that i haven't liked a norma jean album and uh, but i will to its credit say that it does the really long album closer a lot better than wrongdoers it has a 10 or 11 minute closing track that i think completely trumps uh this 14 minute closing track while only being marginally shorter so that it was just an interesting comparison to make um but mm-hmm. and th- there are some people that think even some people on our staff that think polar similar is as good if not better than wrongdoers and for me wrongdoers uh is this new peak of their career and polar similar just is comes off of that with like like a dirtier messier version that i guess maybe people who like their earlier stuff like Polar Similar more because they like the chaos, and that just isn't me. Um, I do enjoy the structure of the album. In fact, I, I really love... one. Well, for one, Wayne's review of this album is pretty awesome. Um, but this one line, uh, I, it's so good. He says that uh, the album gives an illusion of structure followed by an illusion of chaos. And... Uh, I think that's a beautiful way to sum up um, how this album mixes the aggression and the melody, mixes the the choruses and the progressive elements of metalcore. Anything else on your mind, or? Well, I guess I'll answer the question. Mm-hmm. Is it five stars? Is it? Sure. Really? <laughs> so Wait, uh, is, is that a I, sure I'm, question? Is it sure or sure? Or both? Yes. Which one is it? It's not a yes is the thing. Oh, okay. Um I I like I love that Wayne gave it 5 stars. I'm also okay that Michael gave it 4. Um there's a website that I uh, use for music reviews a lot that uh only gave it four stars and i think that's like on that website and with their system uh allmusic.com uh like they've given three and a half to most of norma jean's albums so for them to give this album a four stars i think is perfectly valid like i'm fine with that and i went to that website uh to see like what user rating i had given wrongdoers and i was actually expecting to see a five star rating and then i get to the website and whatever rating I'd assigned to it like four years ago was only a four and a half. Um, so that actually kind of surprised me a little bit. I was like, I, I thought like, I love this album so much. I thought I did have it classified in my head as a five star album, but it turns out like historically I don't. 
and I'm totally fine with anyone giving it five stars. Like I, I love this album. I want it to be heard. I want it to be acclaimed, but there's still just enough drawback, uh, for me. And, and like you, a lot of it has to do with, uh, that final track that, um, I, I would probably personally land at a four and a half. Okay. So it's a four and a half for you, four and a half for me. So our consensus is no, this is not a five star album. <laughs> but it's one of the best not five star albums you'll ever hear. Spoken like a true Tremaine. <laughs> yes, as as you know from all the other Tremaines uh, you, you you hang out with. Did you have to read Johnny Tremaine for school? Uh, no, I didn't. Me neither. Cool. Moving on. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> so uh, we're about to uh, play the interview that was recorded with Ashes Remains singer. Um, but before that, I do want to introduce this episode's sponsor. Sponsoring this episode is Rusty Ship, uh, best described as a nautical rock and roll band from Nashville, Tennessee. And while a lot of us might know the word nautical from SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, it actually is a really great description of this band. Uh, not only the the band name Rusty Ship, but a lot of their lyrics um, and song titles and album artwork goes with this nautical theme that's really cool and consistent throughout their music which aims to be uh, creative, catchy, thought-provoking, reminiscent of old rock legends. And as far as Jesus Freak Hideout is concerned, they uh, achieve those things with their music. Uh, Last year, Rusty Ship released the album Mortal Ghost, and it became our overall staff number two album of the year, uh, which, Mark, you can confirm, is definitely the highest an independent album has ever been on the site. Oh yeah, favorites. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It it really um, it struck a chord. Yeah, it struck a chord. Exactly. It it struck a chord with our staff members as much as I think it will st- strike a chord with you listeners. And right now, specifically, they are promoting the latest single off of the album Mortal Ghost, SS Neuronic. And SS Neuronic uh, has a video coming out with it. Uh, it's an animated video that shows uh, a surprising and imaginative twist on how the tragic fate of the actual ship, the SS Neuronic, uh, could have a happy ending, uh, which if you don't know, the SS Neuronic was a ship that mysteriously vanished in 1893 with no record to show of its passing, except for several messages left in bottles that washed ashore and were allegedly written by passengers while the ship was sinking. Uh, So the lyrics to this song, in a really cool way, are taken from uh, those messages. And then uh, the band tries to bring out a more like philosophical and theological angst uh, that they imagine would be present in such a hopeless scenario. So a very creative song. Um, so please check out the SS Neuronic music video. Uh, the album, Mortal Ghost, that the song comes from, will be playing a clip of the song uh, now before we lead into the interview. And then we'll be playing the entire song at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Stick around for the interview. And we'll be right back to discuss more things.
think it would be fun to begin at the start. I want to focus mostly on the new album. Okay. But when I was uh, reading up on the band, um, there's that little bit about how you and Ryan met, yeah. which I guess would have been about two decades ago. That's 15 years, yeah. It's been a while. So, um, just well, we, yeah, we met all, you're right, we met almost 17, 18 years ago before the band started. Yeah, was yeah. it like just leading worship? Yeah, together? camp. And we were like counselors, at, you know, it was like a youth summer camp, and then we were, like, we led the worship band. We pretty much, the two of us usually were the worship band, sometimes we had mm-hmm. other musicians. Um, yeah. He just, like, so I remember, he was, gosh, 15 years old, I think, when I met him, and I was like 18 or 19, whatever it was, and I was, first of all, I was blown away. He's one of the best guitar players I'd ever heard. I mean, he was just killer. But then he had this incredible heart. And he's to this day, like, I always say, out of everyone I've met in my life, the one who feels the most like Jesus to me is Ryan. Like, he's just full of grace and mercy and compassion and hardworking. And, like, every good attribute you want a human to have, like, he has it. Yeah. He's long-suffering. Like, he, he's just, it's unbelievable. And so I always describe our friendship, and, like, it felt more like a calling. Then, like, let's make music. It was like, I, I knew two things at the time. I'm supposed to make music. I'm supposed to make it with Ryan. Um, and it's been, I don't know what I would have done the last 15 years without exactly him in his role. Like, yeah. It's been unbelievable. And so you were living elsewhere at the time? In Florida, yeah. In Florida? Yeah, that's where I was born and raised, yeah. How did, uh, how did you end up being in Maryland so at a worship camp with him? I randomly went to college in Lexington, Kentucky, to a very small Baptist school. Um, just... I didn't really, a friend of mine was going there, I didn't know anything about it. And I'm like, well, I graduated, let's go to college. I guess that's what you do. Um, so I went there to study Bible, which is where I fell in love with music, which is where I felt called to make music. And one of the guys, my roommate, um, Paul, at that college had worked at this camp. He was from like Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, which is like 15 minutes away from it. Mm-hmm. So it started as just something to do in the summer. It was ministry related and... So I did it, and that's yeah. That's where I ended up meeting Ryan, and like literally my whole life changed because I filled out one application for a camp. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's super cool. Um, so you were doing that for a few summers before you ended up getting a call to yeah. have a job. Out yeah, for like three summers I worked there, and the last summer um, we literally Ryan and I got together every day and prayed together about God opening a door for either me to move there or him to move to Florida. At the time, he was still in high school, so it's like he's probably not moving to Florida. Um, so we prayed for, I think it was three solid months together. I went home and prayed for another like month, five or six weeks, um, and I finally just let it go. Like Not in a bad way, but I was like, okay, like I'm wrong. This isn't what God wants. Like I'm going to leave him alone about it. Yeah. Because um, I'd heard nothing, felt nothing, seen nothing. And pretty much a week or two after I stopped praying about it, I got a call from a startup church in Maryland. And I remember that they were like, we're looking, we want to hire you as a worship leader. We've heard a lot about you, we want to interview you. We can only pay you 12000 a year. And so, like, I had that moment of truth where, like, okay, I begged God to open the door. Now am I going to put a price tag on it? I'm going to be like, oh, I'm not going for that. You know, because it's super random out of the blue, like a definite God moment. Um, so I packed up a U-Haul and moved to Maryland, yeah. like, within a couple weeks, I think. <laughs> pretty, <That's great>. pretty <laughs> random and crazy thing to do, but yeah. here we are, 15 years later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the uh, the rest of the band members formed out of Connections in Maryland? Friendships yeah. made there? Yep. So my drummer went to the church that hired me. Um, my bass player, who plays now, he, he added to the band about a year in, but he started coming to the church like shortly after we started writing music and going into the studio. My lead guitar player, and that's, like, that's a story I don't get to tell a lot. He is, and if you if you pay attention to our band at all, or if you follow Rob on social media, he he really is a virtuoso guitar player. Like he grew up on Steve Vai, like yeah. Joe Satriani. In fact, the first time I jammed with Rob, this is kind of jumping ahead, but do you, have you ever heard of Liquid Tension Project? No. 
So it's Dream Theater, but without the singer. So it's oh, even okay. more instrumental madness, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'd never heard of them. And like, so Rob's like, we should dance. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go over and he puts on this Liquid Tension Project CD and is note for note, like playing along with John Petrucci. And I remember, I remember just putting my guitar down <laughs> slowly and like kind of back it up. Like, I'm just going to watch this for a while because I'm not yeah. in this league. Um, but I met him. I was recruiting for the camp at a, a Towson University at Campus Crusade for Christ, like recruiting for summer staff. Um, and I saw him play with a worship band, and so he wasn't, you know, playing crazy stuff. But I remember thinking he's amazing, and he came up and talked to me about the camp afterwards. He had just pretty newly saved and was like really looking to like do ministry work. So I gave him the camp information. I didn't take any of his information, and he leaves. I'm like, I should have talked to that guy about the band. You know, yeah. like, what an idiot. Um, well, a week later, I literally ran into him at a guitar center where they're having like their guitar mageddon. Yes. Like, yeah, it was awesome. Like, it was me and the other guys in the band just went to see this guitar mageddon contest, and Rob walks up and it clicked. I was like, I'm not walking away from this guy a second time. Like, I need to talk to him. <laughs> um, so, and that, you know, that was an hour from where I live. So, again, it was like, it was a really cool God moment of where, like, this guy's supposed to be part of this. Yeah. Like, what are the odds, you know, in a place like Baltimore that you just run into that guy twice? So. Yeah. So you said, like, Ryan was one of the best guitarists you'd met. And I guess Rob kind of <laughs> here's blew that out say. of the water. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Well, here's what I say. In any other rock band that I've ever heard, Ryan would be the lead guitar player because he's that good. Yeah. But then there's this next level guy where I'm like, are you kidding me? But it's right. cool how things work and, like, you know, different body, different parts, same body. Like, Ryan is a better rhythm player. Like, Rob's passion is lead and texture guitar stuff and, like, He's a great guitarist all around, but like they're exactly where they should be. Like they complement yeah. each other so well, it's crazy. And they'll even do like in our albums and a lot of live stuff, a lot of harmony solos where they're just stuff you don't really hear in our kind of music. Right. Like yeah. uh, riffing at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, call and answer stuff. We'll have jam moments in the show where they go back and forth. And yeah. And Ryan's also he's a multi instrumentalist. Like he went to Towson for four years, full ride to play jazz trumpet. <laughs> It's like super random, like you would never. But now I want to hear more trumpet. On well, the, so there's the a song on the album hell. that's the first song we've ever featured him on. So there's a song called "On Fire" and like the trumpet in the you know in the intro. Oh, that's okay. him. Like the okay. ten playing awesome. on parts. Um, he, <laughs> this is. I always say that I know I compliment Ryan a lot, but I really think he's some kind of genius. Never been tested, but like he's one of those guys that like if he looks at it for five seconds, he can play it. Um, I hate those people. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like he, so at his church, like his pianist quit. And they needed a piano player, but she never touched one. Within a month, he was on stage sight reading and playing hymns. Like, he was like, Yeah, I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? It was like, and so when you listen to an Ashes record, a good 60% or more of the tracks you're hearing, Ryan did it. From the keys to the guitars, yeah. now trumpet, and he does programming, like just all this stuff that, all these layers that you don't ever think about. And I'm like, He spends three times as much time in the studio as any of us. Like, a lot of our studio times, like, in the other room waiting for Ryan to finish. Are you done yet? <laughs> oh, no, another thing? Okay, we'll wait here. Um, yeah, he's awesome. So, the the five piece has been solidified, like, 12, 13 years now? 14. 14, yeah. Okay. Um, how, how collaborative is the songwriting process? More than ever. Like, yeah? So, yeah, before, like, pre-record deal... Like, what would normally happen is I would just write a song, I would bring it to them, and they would construct it, like, deconstruct it, you know, change the parts, like, we'd arrange it together. Um, but now it's getting to the point where everybody's starting to pitch in on some lyrics, like, you know what I mean? Everyone's starting to actually pitch in on the entire, like, from the ground up. And that's kind of a brand new thing. Like, we, we used to be, we would try to get in the room and write together, and it was always a nightmare. Like, yeah. It was like, you know, Guitar Center when you're working, and there's people in every department playing something different. 
that was like a, that was our songwriting process for a while. You know exactly what you live with there. That's yeah. miserable. And that was what happened. And now I think we've just grown to a point where we can listen to each other. Because it, it was before, like one of us would start an idea, and one or two other guys were like, "Nope, hate it." So it would go nowhere. It would just stop instead of like, "Okay, what could this be?" And now we're starting to explore everybody's ideas. Like our drummer has full capability to come to a practice and be like, "I want to hear this on a guitar," or "This is what I think would nice. be a good lyric," and we'll take that and okay, how do we how do we shape that? Yeah, um, which has been really cool and like takes a lot of pressure off me. It's been super healthy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What are the kind of influences that, that go into y'all? Like, do y'all listen to different a lot of different styles of music oh, coming from different yeah. places? Okay, yeah, for sure. Like Rob, I told you, you know, he's all prog right. rock, and I mean, he listens to everything. Like, he loves um, Hillsong. He, there's a lot of things he loves, but musically, he's really into the um, Dream Theater kind of stuff. Ryan is still. It's interesting to me. Like the only rock band, the only two rock bands or artists he'd ever listened to when we started were the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and other than that, he just listened to and played jazz. Of course, he's evolved over the, and he's really into stuff like Me Without You and Josh Garrels. Nice. Um, so is our drummer. I mean, he really likes Me Without You. Um, I'm trying to think, what's the band with Anthony? Circus Survive? Yes. Yeah. He is like a super, so he actually got me into Circus Survive, but never heard of him. Um, so he's really into that, like kind of, not polyrhythmic, but you know what I mean? Like it's like the drums are a little more free and the, the guitar is holding down the, yeah. the basic rhythms and stuff like that. Um, Johnny... <sighs> He's all over the place too. I know he really <laughs> loves, he loves Circus Survive. Um, he loves Tool now because of our drummer Ben. We all love Jimi Hendrix for some reason. You know, there's always that one. Or, there's like one or two artists that every band can Bring agree on. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, we all like that. Um, I'm super weird. I came up on a ton of country music. My dad was a country musician, so I came up listening to Johnny Cash and George Jones and George Strait and then Garth Brooks in the '90s and all that stuff. Um, and I actually like the '90s grunge thing was like. <laughs> Like, for so many people, it was, like, so life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember hearing Nirvana for the first time and being like, oh, like, you can do everything totally different. Like, they're, yeah. not, they're not following any rules. Like, um, so I'm a big 90s guy, and I still like, I like pop radio. I appreciate you saying that. It's an honest question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's something good about it. Right. Yeah. It's catchy for a reason. <laughs> like, yeah, I got no problem with it. I but. still listen to that new Bruno Mars record. He did. He is not normal. <laughs> I hate it. I, like, I don't want to like him, but I love him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's so good. I can't Especially if you see the songs done live, where it's like he takes like what's already like a perfect on-record yeah. pop song and just yep. blows it up to a new level. I remember watching Saturday Night Live when he came out and did 24 Karat Magic. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. He comes out of the dressing room, like, first of all, which nobody gets to do that, and he's wearing basketball shorts and, like, sneakers, and I'm like, only that guy. Like, he looks awesome. If, if I did that, like, it'd be like, oh, you don't want to get dressed for the show? Like, you didn't think yeah. about this? Yeah. He looks like he just woke up, and he's still amazing. So cool. So, I guess on that, so I've never seen Ashes live. Um, do you all play the songs pretty straight to the record? Or do you, like, let's give a few extra bars for an extended guitar solo? Yeah, or? it's a mix. It's okay. a mix. Some of them are, like, straightforward. Usually, most of the radio singles are just like, here's, here's how they are. Um, but, yeah, we do add... Bars for guitar solos. Um, sometimes we'll change like the key or the tempo. Obviously, like any band. Yeah. Um, we try to create like musical moments to kind of give the guys some freedom where mm-hmm. they can do some jam things and nice. showcase who they are. Let the light in uh, was actually my introduction to the band. Uh, cool. So I went back and listened to the older records. Um, what was that like? It's got to be a weird trip. It was interesting. <laughs> well, what was, what was weird about what I've become 
is that there was at least like two or three songs. I was like, I know I've heard this on like rock radio before. Yeah. And like the old, my old, old local Christian rock station yeah. back in Dallas. So I'm always looking for, for patterns and, and things. Yeah. And something that really tripped me up is that on your 2007 independent record, Last Day Breathing, um, a lot of the tracks are pushing five minutes or over. Yeah. And then on what I've become, over half the tracks are under three minutes. Yeah. And so that that pattern kind of sticks through Let the Light In until the very last song, where yeah. All I Need is essentially your first five-minute-long song in a decade. Yep. Um, so I, I really wanted to ask, like, how, how purposeful that was. Was that, like, an intention on y'all's part, or was it from being on a label, like, working with, like, a, you know, producer? Yeah, yeah. Who, it's definitely some of that. Um, so the label that we were with for what I've become, we definitely want to push that shorter song. Um, but what I learned through it, and I think this is why, because we were free on Let the Light In. Like, that's all us. Okay. Um, what I learned was I learned how to craft a better song in less time. Mm-hmm. I learned how to basically cut the fat. Because um, I look back, so I look back at Last Day Breathing, and there are these, like, I don't know, these like turnaround moments, you know, coming out of a chorus or whatever, just before the verse where I'm like, I'm bored. Honestly, like when I go back and listen to it, I'm like, nothing is happening right now. Yeah. And I felt, I feel like looking back at that, that was just where we were as songwriters. Like, okay, well, we'll play these chords two times through, you know, play this progression and then you'll sing. Whereas now I prefer as a songwriter, like, I want to just sing right away. Like, like that's not building the song at all. It's just adding time for time's sake. Um, so yeah, it's it's both. Like we definitely got throttled on length of songs through what I've become, but I think it taught me how to do more in less time. Because okay. we we could have done, we could have had ten minute songs on Let the Light In Edition come out that way. <laughs> like it really, I mean, and the guitar solos are there. Yeah, like and they feel like the right length. You know, like on Fire the Trumpets is a good example. I think it's um, it's right around three minutes, and it's got mm-hmm. a pretty big guitar solo. It's got a musical breakdown with the trumpet, but everything feels intentional. Like it feels like it was built to sound oh, yeah, that for way. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's both. It was a hard lesson to learn, but I think I think it made us better. Yeah. So like and, and like so, all I need is a good example. Of like that song is what it is. Like it's a slow blues, like six eight. Like it feels like it needs to breathe. There mm-hmm. needs to be space. There needs to be moments where nothing's happening, and it's good, as opposed to a song like say, like run or yeah, run. Run's an interesting one. Yeah, because there is just a lot of no 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 no. It's kind of like okay, I get that. Like I've heard that riff ten times. Not the, not the meditation song. Something on that album that uh, had like like little spoken word, uh, oh, like that? samples thrown into it. Broken pieces. Okay, broken pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. the leading is like a really long guitar yeah, solo. That is a long song. <laughs> it's a very long song. Yeah, I think too. Like at live, like because we've joked about it in the band. Like I remember one time Rob was playing something on a verse of a song called Separated. It was really good and really technical, but it felt busy. And I was like, well, what if you just, like, don't play on the verse? And he was, this is like, 12 years ago. And he was, he was like, well, what would I do? And then my joke was like, I don't know what I'd do during your three-minute guitar solo. <laughs> so we were, like, going back and forth. So live, though, like an album like uh, Let the Light In, like, it, it, it's very comfortable. Like, I don't feel like I'm having to fill all this time. I'm not Ricky Bobby with my hands in the air, like... What do I, I, I do now? <laughs> there are no words. <laughs> um, but I feel like we finally hit a stride with like the shorter songs that feel right. Yeah. So, at least to me. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> um, the, uh, cause I, I didn't notice the 
kind of short song length, Sunlight the Light, and it wasn't until I went back to what I'd become yeah. that I noticed the pattern. Yeah, like, is this song still going? Um, <laughs> it was like, it's over. Oh. <laughs> this is a short album. Um, but uh, So, are you never playing instruments live? Unless it's like an acoustic gig? or what? I'm starting to play acoustic guitar more just with this album, just because okay. of what the songs are. Um, I, so, obviously I'm a worship leader. I play every week. I've been playing guitar. But when we started the band, I was very intentional about, hey, these two guys don't need me. Like, I'm not adding anything to this album. <laughs> yeah. there's, not, there's no one's impressed because I'm playing GCD behind the two geniuses. Um, and I was like, I need to focus on my voice. I need to focus on learning to be a front man because I was the Ricky Bobby guy at first. Like, I had no idea what to do with my hands. You know, It wasn't natural to me. I'm not like a natural front man at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I want to hide in the corner in the dark. You know, I remember my first worship band. I, had, uh, I played electric guitar and I sang. And it was, my amp was always off to the right. And I had a really short chord, so I would stand over there. And they're like, you have to stand in the middle. I'm like, why? Yeah. You know I mean? They're like, you're the lead singer. I'm like, can they hear me? <laughs> it was like, they have to see me in the middle? Like, I got a mic. Like, it's pretty loud. Um, and they, the band went out and bought me, like, a 25-foot cable. It's like, no, you're going to stand in the middle. And so I, it's been a huge process of me, like, learning not to play. Like, learning not yeah. to have the security of the guitar in my hand. When would you say you came into your own as a, as a front man? And- um, within the last five, six years. Okay. Honestly, like, so after what I become came out, first we had to get comfortable with the songs because we'd never played the click track or backing tracks or any of that stuff. That oh wow, all, yeah, all that's a hard transition. Yeah, it was to make. so weird. So the oh. first like six eight months of touring was like hoping we don't mess it all up every night, at least for me. And but once I got comfortable with those songs and comfortable with the idea of the click track and all that, I began to get very very comfortable like being on stage and not yeah. super hyper conscious about my movements. So I just kind of. I am who I am now, and it feels better. Yeah. So, relatively new. <laughs> um, so, for this new set of songs, is it similar where like, you're, you're touring now on songs that haven't been played before, or did you get the opportunity to like, test these songs with live audiences and play them before the recording of the album? So, no, we like we just did a show last week, which is the first one since the album, and we that morning had like a three-hour practice to learn like we played four or five songs off the new album which as a band now it's once you have played the track you know like you're you're more comfortable like we all learn it at home we come to the table ready to play it and so it's just a matter of turning the click on and making sure we're on the same page so we still haven't played them all um and with that said all the touring is being pushed towards the spring like the idea is like yeah. let the album breathe for a couple months and then we're gonna you know do a small headline tour and then probably jump on tour with somebody else through the spring right. summer get our act together yeah Literally. Are you hoping to play all the songs on the album, or do you think there's a few that might not get touched on the live setting? Our intention is to play them all. Like, not every night, but to rotate them. Yeah. Because, like, one thing that happened with What I've Become, which I think is hilarious, um, there's a song (laughs) in there called Right Here, Mm -hmm. which I like the song a lot. And I don't know if it was just in the, we didn't pick it to put in the live set, and then we never revisited it. But like there was some time like a year or two ago, and I remember on the road, and my bass player was looking at YouTube, he's like, you guys know, like, Right Here is, like, one of our top three most popular songs. <laughs> like, it's like and then, you know, then people start requesting it. And like, we, I'm gonna be honest, we still don't know it. We have still, we still never played it as a band. <laughs> it was hilarious to me. Like, I don't even think we have the backing tracks. We don't have the stems or the, and we just never done it. And so, with this album, we, we made the agreement, like, let's know them all cold. Like, someone requests a random song, we're ready to play it. And just yeah. for our own lack of boredom, we can switch it up every night. Like, okay, we're gonna do these two instead of those two, or, you know. Yeah. So, I guess now I'm moving into, Maybe a few specific songs. My my two favorite things about the album 
uh, is one uh, is lyrically it remains very Christ-centered um, where I too often I've seen either the hard rock bands just kind of ignore the topic of explicitly talking about Christ yeah. or if they become more Christ-centered they also like lose the rock edge yeah. and become a lot softer yeah. band but then the my second favorite thing which I think ties into that is that y'all aren't exclusively a hard rock band yeah if you listen to the first four Thank tracks <laughs> most, most people won't say that that's good You're that's good to hear uh, well the first four tracks is this awesome progression of like like I'm not sure how intentional this was but it kind of transitions you into buying into the full scope of y'all's sound as the songs get progressively slower and softer from starting out with uh, Rise yeah which is like your like core anthem yeah and then it moves into like more of a pop rock song and then like a CCM pop song mm-hmm. and a like a power ballad. Yeah. So this this full scope of sounds that that four one uh, that's four that four song run. Is it basically just like y'all write what you write and the, yes. the best songs get on make the record? Finally, again, it is. You know what I mean? So yeah. With what I've become, there was a lot more label involvement, a lot more. Here's what it has to be. Um, and with, and I think is why like we'll pull up to venues and people are like you guys are our favorite Christian metal band and we're like metal metal <laughs> like, we have a piano on stage <laughs> like, um, and, but so yeah I feel like now like the songs that we wrote were beautifully unintentional do we just like them you know what I mean like and we were allowed to put songs we liked on a record so yeah. it was like yeah that's why there's a blues song and a funk song and rise and um, now the progression of them was intentional it's awesome to know that that translates because we did go back and forth with the label okay like Rise should be the first one because this is you know don't don't hide that somewhere and be like oh yeah they are a rock band um, so that's good to know that translates but yeah the progression's intentional but the songs are extremely unintentional and they are just like songs we like and songs that we want to play and somehow we got to yeah. I don't know why <laughs> so in terms of that that freedom and label involvement is that a lot of the reason why you're now on rather than fair trade yeah it's, it's been awesome like it's it's only our second label and it's night and day um, I'm thankful for everything from the last label like they built a platform for us like yeah people know our name and that's crazy um, but this this time around like Brandon Ebel sat down and said we're gonna agree on the three singles and then do whatever you want and like I, you know not knowing Brandon yet I was kind of gun shy like Ugh, does he mean that um, but he didn't he didn't hear the album until it was turned in for mastering so he literally just like okay like I yeah. trust you um, and if, you know, I think any artist would say that's the most you could ever ask or hope for, and we got it. So it's crazy. Yeah. I guess just to talk about a, a few specific songs, I think, and this is hard, which is a compliment. I think my favorite is "Criminal." Oh, cool. That's probably my. And this, I guess, this would be like maybe the closest thing to uh, like a metal or hard rock song. Yeah. Essentially on the record for sure. Um, but I think it's also probably the the best like Christian hard rock song I've heard in years. Oh wow! Um, I think the the lyrical conceit is is pretty cool on that one too. So just free opportunity to talk about that that song. How it yeah. came about? Um, my favorite thing about it is it's the eleventh hour song. It was like we need one more song. We don't have it. And my lead guitar player Rob and his buddy Jack had this musical track that they had written. So all the music that you hear, I mean, we re-recorded it, but like. The song was written, but only like progressions and where the solo would go. Okay. And so then Mikey Howard, who produced nine of the ten songs, um, he had he had the I wanna talk a whole lot less. Like he had just showed me that the day before on his iPhone. Like this is something I'm working on for like a rock song. 
and we're all in the room, and that's they start playing the track, and me and Mikey kind of look at each other, and he's like, and he he starts humming that, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I literally Synergy. had like one line to work on in this track, and so I went home at like two in the morning that night, and because we did, so the studio was crazy. It was nine songs in eight days, um, you know, like ten a.m. Yeah, two, two to four a.m. Whenever you get done, you know. And so I went home after the you know twelve thirteen hour day in the studio and sat down just like okay what what does the song sound like to me and the aggressive like sound of it just I started thinking about the crucifixion I started thinking about like the way he was treated um, and I'm like it is crazy like the like <laughs> I'm not saying anything new but like the king of creation was treated like an absolute criminal yeah you know and all the disciples and you know, everyone got martyred for following him and like that's that's all that was on my mind and it just kind of just came out and like the next morning. I walked in and you know sang it for Mikey and he was like yeah yeah that's it so yeah it was crazy it was really fast like and it you know almost wasn't on the record at all <laughs> yeah that's good. super cool so you're just like given these tools like here yeah. work with this here's a and couple this. pieces and, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean they were good you know I mean especially like the melody line for the chorus that Mikey already had in his head I'm like that's strong like you know there's something to build off of yeah and I was like what do I want to talk a lot less about like what do I want to be about yeah and that, that's where it came from awesome. And so as you're as you're preparing to play these live, and as you're like listening to the record or messing on it, which of these is like continues to minister to you the most? Hmm. Oh gosh, I'm gonna say follow. Okay. It's. I mean, it's all these simple concepts. I feel like should we should have down pat, but I don't. You know, I have to constantly, constantly remind myself, like the redemption I received. Like it's it's so central and it should be always on the front of my mind but it's not um, so to say like you know you paid my debt you ransomed my soul it gave me the strength to stand and the only response I have is to follow Jesus I don't have anything else to bring to the table he doesn't need anything he doesn't need yeah. me so it's just my only act of gratitude is, is just follow with everything with my life and so it leads into the bridge with the we all leave marks on the ones we pass by and Lord let your love be the flag that we fly like what am I leaving like what am I leaving to my son who's three when I'm impatient with him because he's whining and I snap at him. You know what I mean? I yell at him like, and he cries. I'm like, what am I leaving? What's the mark I'm leaving on my son in that moment? Like, am I teaching him how Jesus loves people or am I just teaching him how impatient I am and how imperfect I am? So that song, I think every time I hear it, definitely when I practice it or sing it, like it's, it speaks to me. Has it been hard to be a, a father and a musician? Yes. Uh, only for the, it's a time issue, you yeah. know, and it's, sort of because it's been six years since we put out an album my son's three so almost by random coincidence I've toured less in the time that I've had children than ever in my life um, I'm just kind of taking that as God's timing and just allowing me the freedom to be home more but yeah every time we get a tour offer or a show offer I do the math I look at the numbers but I also just look at the time away from our families and you know what are we doing ministry when we're out there like what is this about um so we've turned down more than we've accepted probably lately just because, I mean, I don't want to be the guy, and I have been in the past, who says, family's first, but I'm going to go do all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm just done with that. Like, I don't believe that Jesus has to have me on the road 360 days a year to change lives. Um, yeah. i got to start at home. Like, a, again, my son, what's the mark? What's the mark for my daughter? Like, what are they going to grow up thinking? I think, but like, my dad was this huge Christian rock star because he focused everything on it, but he was never there. You know what I mean? He was like, he never saw me play soccer. Like, I don't want that, man. Like, that's, it's yeah. not okay. I was uh, interviewing Matt Hammett last week from Sanctus Real. Um, and he was talking about how it would be ridiculous to say that you can 
uh, go up on stage. Or, or no, sorry, that you can call yourself a performer but never be on stage. Uh, that you can call yourself um, like a sports star but never be on the field. Yeah. And yet so many of us call ourselves like fathers and we're never home with our families. Um, this is so good. Yeah. This morning, because, you know, this is a two-day trip for me. It's really short. But even this morning, like, my wife FaceTimed me just because my son woke up and said, Daddy forgot to come home. Like, he's three. He doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Like, and so, <laughs> like, yeah. So thank God, like, he FaceTime works for him. But I don't want that to be the only thing. But in those right. little moments, it was nice. I got to talk to him all the way to daycare, and he's joking with me and laughing. But, like, in his little heart, he woke up like, Daddy forgot to come home. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Even, like, two days away from home is tough. Yeah. You know, and my daughter, she doesn't get it yet. She's eight months, and she's like, as long as my, as long as mom's around, the world is right with her right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's gonna change for her too, and like, it's it's a lot to ask of them. Yeah. I mean, I remember my dad being a truck driver, um, long distance. But as I got older, he didn't do it until I was probably, probably fifteen, sixteen years old. Like he went out on the road. He, I think when I was like tiny, he did it, and but then he came home for like the most impressionable years and right. so I kind of could wrap my head around this okay dad's gonna be going for a week he's driving to California and back like I have a driver's license now like other stuff is happening um, and that was a good example to me like he really like because he made way better money doing that but he didn't do that like you know he's like I'm gonna be home like that's great long. yeah it was big yeah how long have you and your wife been married seven years okay yeah, so, yeah. right before it got Intense right, no, exactly yeah, yeah. right. Like, Great timing. <laughs> we got married. I got a record deal. Like, and it's to that end too. Like, I love talking about that part of it because one of the things people always say to any musician trying to encourage us is, "She knew who she married." No, that's a stupid answer. Like, first of all, like she knew what my dream was. She had no idea if it was going to come true. I never left home when we were like engaged. You know what I mean? Like, it was I played in Baltimore and like I was home every night. Like, <laughs> wasn't a big deal. Like, you can't prepare for that kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah. So she, I mean, you always hear that, like, oh, it takes a special woman. Like, no, it takes like two people like working together and sacrificing on both ends. Right. Like, I have to say, I just turned down a, I turned down a three month tour like recently. It, was, it wasn't a huge tour, but it was like something that would have been good. It would have been good for the band. Like, I can't can't do that like I can't just look at her and be like accept this you know what I mean like this is what I do like that's terrible like, it's right. not, not the way to be right yeah I know for those exact reasons I'm not sure if I could ever be a touring musician personally that's a hard man yeah, it's, yeah. I, I assume and I don't know like if you have a wife and kids who like to travel and you make it financially to the point that you can that's a game changer that's a whole different thing and, yeah. and even in that respect like not every wife wants to do that. Like people are like, Oh, that's a dream. Maybe not for her. Like yeah. you, need, you need to ask and find out and like have that conversation. Like, you know, some people want to be home and that's okay. Uh, it seems like there, there really is a lot of power in the no for you to be able to turn up, turn, turn down these tours. And absolutely. It's ultimately like you're proving to like yourself and your wife and your son, like what your priorities are. Right. Yeah. Cause decisions. you can say it all day long. Yeah. Like you can be like, Oh, I know I'm in Chicago, but I love you so much. Like, okay. But you've been gone for, four weeks or five weeks, you know? Yeah, you're right. You gotta say no. Sure. And, you know, every, every situation is different. Like we, me and my wife joke, like, you know, I'm not going on any tour long. We, the band has said, this is not a joke. Like we don't want to do more than two weeks out for like a headline tour or for like a very small tour. Like 
something that's a little bit less productive. Um, but so my wife and I has a joke is like if Bono calls me and asks me to go on a world tour for three months, then I can say yes. Because <laughs> <That's kind of laughs> yeah. there are things that like, you know, you look at, okay, that is a career builder. That is a huge ministry opportunity. You're in front of a ton of people to talk about Jesus. Like, and it's, it's hard to measure any of that, you know, but as long as I think as long as I continue to learn to put her in them first, like it'll be okay. Yeah. There's a there's a song on the album about your marriage, isn't there? Yep, the last song, the long one. Okay. <laughs> um, so, nice. Where where did that one come from? So, been married seven years. Like I said, our first year was um, the awful year, and I know for a lot of people it comes later. Um, a few months in, like we took the rings off. You know, we didn't um, we didn't I didn't move out. We didn't do that stuff. But it was like we have no idea what we did, why we did it, or if this is gonna work. Um, and so, I don't know, I want to say it was about a month we didn't have the rings on. And i never forget the day, like, we just, we decided to, to not just try, but to really try, to, like, love each other harder than ever before, um, to pray, to chase Jesus, and not just to give up. And I'll never forget the day I came home, she's sitting on the couch with our rings in her hand, like, put the rings back on, and we've never looked back since then. I mean, we've had our, we've had our bad moments, you know what I mean, where it's yeah. like, everybody has the fights and the whatever, um, but that's where that song came from because and even the title of the album they let the light in like I always say like Jesus sent disciples out in twos like soldiers fighting units like first responders have backup like I learned that I could have tried as hard as I wanted if she wasn't on the same page or vice versa we probably wouldn't be married today it took two of us like coming together and so when I think like what you know the best way to let the light in a dark room is together like whether it's your marriage um, your ministry like your job whatever it is like we're not supposed to do this stuff alone like we're just not that's great. <laughs> I hardly know what to say. Um, thank you for sticking with it. Oh, thanks for all the you know, scandals and divorces and uh, duplicitous, yeah, like you know, Christian stars and celebrities out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad to me. Like, I, so I I grew up. My parents are still married. Um, Fifty. Five, 56 years I can't even remember yeah, praise God yeah but so the lesson I learned from them like my mom till I was five was a full-blown alcoholic and was, she was a terrible person you know what I mean she never beat us but I remember thinking like she's so mean like this I hate being here and the second she gave it up the second she found redemption and walked away from it she's an angel like she's the one of the greatest humans on earth and it showed me that like, a couple things that like what that did to her that wasn't her but it also showed me that my parents, there were times when I saw them in the worst of their fights and the worst of their arguments where I do was all they had, commitment was all they had. The yeah. ooey gooey, like brand new love feelings, those were gone. Um, you know, they weren't happy. There was no joy in that moment. But that generation, like, you don't give up. You don't. Like, you know what I mean? They come from that. My dad's 76, she's 75. So. There were times when commitment was all they had, and I've watched them grow into you know the real golden years where they rediscovered the love, where they like the relationship is amazing. It's what people look for, and so that that's what I learned from you know is that there's going to be times when like the commitment's enough, yeah. just fight for it. And it's yeah today you're it's it's so disposable. It's like oh we don't want to be married anymore. This is hard. <laughs> this isn't this isn't fun. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's you know I, God willing, like you know. I'm married to that one for the rest of my life, and nothing goes wrong. But like, I'm gonna fight for it no matter what. Like, yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get the the throwaway, you know, family. I don't get that at all. Yeah. Especially, and I know people say you can't stay together for kids, and you can't, but they are a factor. And like, I look at my son and daughter. I'm like, what, what does it do to them? If first yeah. of all, we're not a good example, you know, if we just walk away from each other. 
And second of all, like if we do walk away, like they have other parents in the picture, you know, like their whole world changes and it's not fair to them either. Like, like family, overall family is worth it. Like it's worth the struggle. Yeah. Is there a similar commitment with like you and your band members? Similar. If if one of you wants out, like there's like, it's all in together. So it's kind of an unspoken, you know what I mean? We, um, I was just saying this earlier today that it, it just wouldn't feel right. Like, I don't know what would happen. I couldn't turn around and look at someone else on the drums or on bass. Like it's, yeah. And it, it might happen. I don't know. Um, but it would change the face of everything. Yeah. Especially like you and Ryan, it seems like oh, that. Yeah. If I, I can, I can honestly say that if Ryan walks away, I think I'm done. Like it's a, he's a leader and he's a co-founder and it's, it's more than music. Um, but all the guys feel that way. It's like, I, yeah, I just don't know. Like everyone's in their input matters to me so much and a mind matters to them. Like, so if, if Johnny, the bass player, if he quit and we, you know, I know a couple of things, like we wouldn't hire a full-time guy. He wouldn't be part of the band. Then we would have a hired bass player or we just use tracks. Um, and that feels, I don't know, it just feels not as good to me. I don't know how to say, like, I like the brotherhood. I like the, we're there for each other. We fight for each other. Yeah. It would be difficult for me to just have some guy who's good at bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. And I don't like the idea of having hired guns, but maybe I'm crazy. It's just because we've never had it before. Touring is crazy too because we don't, you know, we built our own bus. Our Ryan drives the bus. Like, it's not like we have this team of people around us. Like, we take care of each other. Right. Like, you know, I mean, we break down the side of the road. We all get covered in grease, and like, that's what we do. Um, so if one of those guys are out of the picture, like, I don't know, what does that look like? Yeah. Not good. How do y'all take care of each other spiritually while you're out on the road? The biggest thing, man, uh, it's. Again, sounds simple, but it's accountability, and it's so built into who we are now. Um, like, there's no question. Like, we just don't we don't accept certain behavior from each other. You know, yeah. like, none of us would ever be alone with a girl. Or like, there's just certain things that I don't know how people do it that don't have that relationship. I don't know how you tour if you don't have brothers behind you that you know in an instant will snatch you up and pull you out of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's like an unspoken, unwritten thing, and. It's been amazing. Like, I can't think of a time in 15 years. Like, I can remember, you know, being at a venue and maybe one girl's talking to me. And I'm kind of in a corner. And I can, I can remember, like, looking over her shoulder and seeing Johnny and just kind of doing this. And, boom, he's in. You know what I mean? It's like there's this constant. Yeah. And whatever the situation is, it doesn't have to be a girl. Like, there's – and it's family. That's why it is family. Like, you don't think about it. You just do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like – your best friend that you grew up with, like you would always step in and like that, that is a constant thing everywhere we go. That's unbelievable to me. Like I can't imagine just being a guy on a bus with a bunch of strangers and yeah. trusting that they would do that. <laughs> it's like, uh, in Proverbs, it says there's a friend who, I think this is Proverbs, but a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And the whole iron sharpens iron. Like, right. It's super true. And we share life. Like we, we always know everything that's going on in each other's families and like side jobs and all this stuff. And I mean, there's constant care, there's constant prayer, even when we're not together. Like we don't really hang out off the road too much. Cause I live like an hour away from the guys. Um, and it's definitely like one of those family friendship situations where it always feels like you pick up right where you left off. There's no, it never feels like, Oh, I haven't talked to you in forever. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know. It's just, I love it. I can't imagine doing it any other way. Yeah. What would be the differences for you be between being on stage performing Ashes Remain songs and leading worship. <laughs> this is funny, but like someone asked me the other day, not an interview, this asked me if being in Ashes Remain, because we do lead worship together. 
sometimes or a lot. And they said, does that make you a better worship leader? And I was like, I think it makes me a worse worship leader because for 15 years we breathed together. You know what I mean? It's gotten to the point where I can just nudge my shoulder and Ben knows that means we're about to stop. Yeah. So I count on that too much when I play because <laughs> we have five campuses at my church and I'll play with different musicians and like I think, like, why doesn't he know what this means? <laughs> like, the reality is, why would he know what that means? Like, um, so it's just like... I. It's very different. It's very different. Um, mostly because I'm constantly thinking of leading the band. Mm-hmm. And not that they're bad musicians, but like we just don't play together that much. And so I'm constantly thinking, like, am I doing a good job keeping us together? Have I made it clear to them how the song flows? Whereas with Ashes, we can literally, like, you know, a song we haven't played in six months. We're like, remember that one in that key? Okay, we'll stop here. Yeah, sure. And then we'll walk on stage and do it. Just like any group of musicians who've been together that long, and it makes you so comfortable. But I have to like throw that out of my head when I'm leading worship with other musicians. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard. It makes it hard for me because like I want to, I need to worship in that moment. So I have to somehow separate. You're doing this thing logistically, but you need to talk to Jesus when you're singing these words. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of a tough thing that I deal with week to week. Is is part of like your hopeful touring schedule to be to like try to get you back? Yeah. Like to your church every Sunday? Um, or as much as possible. As much as possible, I would say. You know, yeah. definitely not every Sunday. And we have, you know, we have other leaders, and they're constantly looking to hire other leaders. It's one of the reasons I. So we have a worship director, and he's in charge of the whole thing. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to be not right under him, but just a worship leader, so I could be replaceable, so I could be just one in the stable. Nice. Um, and it allows me to travel to other campuses too, because I'm not so locked into one thing. So uh, definitely as much as possible. Like I'm super involved at that place, and I want to be there. Um, but they know there's going to come seasons of, you know, festival season. Like maybe there's a lot of a lot of weekends are out. Yeah. So I guess other than just checking out the new album, is there anything else you want to promote or say or tell to our readers? I mean, I'm just excited and grateful. Like I, I'll say this, like, you know, it it opened up at number one on the Christian Gospel iTunes, and I had zero expectations. So gratitude's not the word. Like it's you know when it's been this long since you put something out, like you don't know if anybody cares. Yeah. Um, so to not just get like a response, but people are loving it. People are encouraging, like as a band, that's the most you can ask for. And so we're super, super grateful. Like, and that's why we want to tour it and get out there and treat it like it deserves. Well, nice job, Chase. That was a good interview. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've actually never listened to Ashes Remain. I think I might have to now. Yeah. I, uh, Honestly, and I I hadn't listened to it until I was prepping for the interview, and I I loved it. Um, I think it was Andy at the website who reviewed it. I believe she gave it a four star rating, and it 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 is a fun rock album. A uh, few songs that are uh, really interesting and surprising. Uh, a lot of good like technical playing just thrown in random places. So uh, I recommend uh, the Ashes Remain album for sure, and. Uh, to lead into our final segment, I think I can also say that I recommend that Iona album that you Ooh. forced me to listen to. All right. Well, uh, for those of you that don't know, then this final segment, uh, Chase and I take turns forcing each other to listen to an album that we love and the other person has never heard. So this last week, uh, if you remember... I forced Chase to listen to an album called The Book of Kells 
from a band called Iona, released in 1993. They are a, excuse me, 1992. Right. Came out the um, year I was born. <laughs> so they are a Celtic progressive rock album or a Celtic progressive rock group. And they are still actually making music. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, they are. They've made, they released the last album in 2011. It was actually that album that uh, Alex Caldwell on our staff reviewed. Um, It's called In Another Realm, another album I recommend. But it was in reading that review that made me discover this band. And they're actually now one of my all-time favorite bands. So Really cool. So this was my introduction to them. I had never really heard of them before. Immediately, just from looking at the track listing, it's very clear that this is some sort of concept record. Uh, You have song titles throughout, such as Matthew the Man, Mark the Lion, Luke the Calf, Trinity the Godhead, John the Eagle. So you kind of, you get that sense of what you're going into. And you also, if you're looking at the uh, lengths of the songs, you'll notice that Speaking of long songs, that track three is a whopping 12 minutes. They didn't even save this for the closing track. (laughs) Iona is boldly in 1992 putting this in the top half of the album. Uh, So they are a progressive band. Right. So my first listen wasn't great. My first listen, I think, was more shock of just how instrumental this album is. I know you and I went a little back and forth of whether it was more than half instrumental or less than half instrumental. Um, But just in general, I I was expecting a song with, you know, just vocals on every song. I was expecting that. Uh, I guess that's just typical. So I was thrown off a little bit by so many songs that were just instrumental or songs that would have very long instrumental portions yeah, that song that you just mentioned, Matthew the Man, is actually 11 minutes, and I think it is like 90% instrumental. Yeah, uh, 11 minutes, 54 seconds, highly instrumental. And that's actually the, the song, ironically enough, that where the album came alive to me. Uh, listening again, I would probably still say that's my second track, or my favorite track, sorry. Um, I would probably still say that's my favorite track. And... I almost want more of that. Um, like as a whole, I think seventy-two <laughs> minutes is is too long uh, for what they're doing on this album. But what they do on that song specifically, I wouldn't have mind seeing another twelve-minute track um, that's just so like cinematic in its uh, composition and its movements and like the surprises. Uh, the surprising places that the song takes you whereas the song preceding it revelation this would have been the radio single uh it gave me some vibes of like maybe michael w smith's secret ambition and i i came to like those first two songs more when i heard it again and had a better understanding of what just the band is doing and what they're trying uh to accomplish and what they're like you know like you said like the celtic sound of it but man that 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 12-minute track, Matthew the Man, if, if you want to know if, if you could get down with this type of music, that's what to go to. Um, it's For me, it's, it's just like the high watermark of what this album is doing. And uh, yeah, just 
I, I, I could rave about that song and everything else that comes after it uh, is just, it f- kind of just follows in suit and it doesn't ever amaze me quite as much as that single song does, but it keeps doing the things that I liked from that song, um, which keeps it a very good album as it goes along. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I, I can definitely, and I mean, a little more background here. Um, you know, there were three albums that I was really trying to choose between uh, that, you know, I figured I, I could make you listen to. Uh, there was this one. There was their album that came a couple of years later called Journey Into the Morn. Yeah. Which is uh, Journey Into the Morn is actually their first release on Forefront Records. And it is by far their most uh, vocal, non-instrumental, vocal, like normal, quote-unquote, album. As normal as a 79-minute album can be. Yeah. And then... um, there was another album a couple years later that is probably about 80%, 80-85% instrumental called uh, Open Sky, which is um, another album that I really like. So three very different albums um, that I, I love them all. And one of the big things that I li- love is just, you know, if I've got a spare 80 minutes, I just sit down and listen to it all the way through. <laughs> It's 2018. Who has spare 80 minutes? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, because it, it's the type of music that, you know, you can get lost in. And that's why I, that's why I love them so much. Very cool. Well, I have an album for you. You do? Uh, not quite as progressive, um, but there's a, some progressive tendencies in there. I, I think you know what's coming. Okay. Uh, we, we, we discussed this one when I was trying to figure out what you have and haven't heard. Morning by May. Yes, I did know that one was coming. That's morning with parentheses around the M <laughs> and uh, May, M-A-E, uh, which when they first came up with the band name was is, is an acronym for multisensory aesthetic experience. And then it kind of then they later in their career released this EP series, Morning, Afternoon, Evening, another acronym of the band name, which if you want to um, put a little more time into it, instead of just listening to Morning, which I think is my favorite of the three EPs, uh, you can listen to the new remastered, uh, re-edited combination of all three um, that took out like a couple of filler tracks changed some things production wise, re-recorded a few things, and put it all as this one like epic long album. Um that is great. There's there's a few changes I don't like, and so I'm still partial to the old versions. Um but morning uh is as far as I'm concerned something really special. So that is my assignment to you. All right, and I will relish that assignment. I'm sure there are lots of viewers out there that are thinking something along the lines of, wait, what? Mark hasn't listened to May? And I'm like, <laughs> well, what can I... You can't see me, but I'm shrugging. What can I say? I just didn't listen to May. Yeah, and to to throw this out there, um, it might be the type of album to listen to once, wait on it a few days, and then try again. Um 
and that might not even be enough time because it took me years to come around to it. I hated it when they first released it. And then years later, it became one of my favorite May releases. So it's funny how that happens. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to hear what your first impression and even in just like the next week that you have to listen to it to see if, if your opinion changes at all from different visits. So I look forward to uh, discussing it. Thanks, everyone. Uh, to listen to the Jesus Freak Hideout podcast. Thanks, Rusty Ship, for sponsoring us. I uh, hope you'll return next week to listen to more. And it is pronounced Dibiase. The JFH podcast is hosted by Mark Rice and me, Chase Tremaine. Production, editing, and music is also by me. The podcast is executive produced by John Dibiase and Christopher Smith. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, please send an email to Christopher at JesusFreakHideout.com. We'd also love to talk to you about the podcast and things that you would like us to discuss next, so reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or our website. Thanks to Josh from Ashes Remain for the interview, and thank you again to Rusty Ship for sponsoring this episode. Again, Rusty Ship, with two Ps, just released a new music video for the single SS Naronic. So search for SS Naronic on YouTube, And now we will be playing that song in full, SS Neuronic by Rusty Ship.
This is no rhyme.